Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast, the show that brings together Michigan's top cannabis growers, advocates, and business owners to offer a fresh and honest perspective of Michigan's cannabis industry. Stick with us to get the lowdown from the people who have been on the ground floor of cannabis business in Michigan and gain insights into where the industry may be heading. Welcome to the Smoke and Rope Podcast. I'm your host, uh, Ryan Basor, and I'm back this week. Uh, from the UP, uh, I want to thank every uh, you know Tom and Kevin for holding it down, and Rick Thompson for guest hosting or guest uh, guest commentating. I want to say that Kevin uh, did a wonderful job, but uh, hopefully I can keep my job here. Uh, but today we're on uh, episode fifty nine, and we're excited to have back one of the originators of the podcast, Sam Rosinski from Fresh Coast, forty two degrees Fresh Coast extracts. Sam, thanks for being on. Hey, thanks for having me. Happy to be back. Cool, Sam. And uh, this week, uh, Tom Beller is uh, is off, and we got Kevin at True. Uh, Kevin, how'd it go last week? What'd you think about uh, doing the hosting? You know, I uh, I think it's safe to say that your job is secure. Um, <laughs> oh, that's not what that, I heard. That, that, no, that being said, we had a great time. Um, you know, we we had some technical difficulties right at the last minute. Um, we had planned for a guest and they um, they weren't able to make it so we pivoted literally on the fly with like a minute before we, we then flipped to uh, to having Rick as, as our guest to, to um, you know put some questions together really quick and so uh, it actually turned out really well I was really really happy with how it went and um, we had a good time and you know uh, glad you're back though well thanks I'm glad to be back I uh I just wanted, uh, before I give uh, Sam the introduction he deserves, I wanted to just uh, reference uh, my experience last week in the UP. Um, we're going to be having uh, somebody on um, that's from up there, but it was really, it was almost surreal. Like it, it was magical, like it didn't happen. Uh, the and we were in Houghton, uh, Crystal Falls, and Iron Mountain, and the staffs were so well trained. Um, the places were so busy. The customers knew about the brand. And it was just, uh, everyone was so friendly. It was just an incredible experience to see this part of Michigan and the amount of people that are coming over from Wisconsin, Minnesota, Illinois, uh, Dakotas, you name it. It was just, uh, it was an amazing, amazing trip. And I wanted to thank uh, everyone that, that we saw up there. And I am really, really, really happy that I have uh, early money on the Western side of the UP because it is just, uh, it was it was just a surreal experience, and that's super cool that that's going on in in Michigan. And that hey, Wisconsin and Minnesota, you're you're lost every day that goes by, and you guys have horrible cannabis laws. Uh, the, the UP thanks you. So um, with that, I wanted to introduce uh, Sam. So I first met Sam, uh, first saw Sam. We've talked about it before uh, in a meeting up in Acme, and uh, uh, they were opting, trying to opt in, and, and Sam was standing up, throwing out facts, talking, talking, um, you know, great cannabis knowledge, and, and a young guy up there and passionate, and it was a pretty hostile crowd, and um, that's when I saw him first, and, and was like, all right, it kind of became on my radar, and then um, I got a call from Sam and, and Elliot to come up and uh, help at this... Uh, this meeting up in Leelanau Peninsula, and uh, we went up. Uh, they were trying to opt in his farm that he was living on, and it was it was beautiful. And uh, uh, we've talked about it before, but it was the most hostile, uh, intense meeting I'd ever seen or, or been a part of. And it was like 110 degrees in this old old church, and 
They brought out, there was the DEA, there's ex-DEA, there's the sheriff, the county sheriff, the undersheriff. There was FBI. Uh, Don Bailey was there, not supposed to be, saying crazy stuff. It was everybody, and um, they didn't end up uh, getting uh, getting them to opt in, but uh, it's for the best. And um, Sam played a big part early on with Redemption, helping me with with my packaging and um, you know, and even designing my my logo. And I give him a lot of credit for that. Um, that wasn't his background, but he had been doing it enough and, and been experienced at it and, and helped guide me on that. And that's really why I thought Sam, it's great to have you back on the show, but also. You've been um, around for the whole packaging part of it, and then through COVID and what's going on and the new regulations, you guys are doing edibles and things like that. So, Sam, really happy uh, that you're back on the show and and your guys' uh, success, and uh, and thank you for uh, for for helping me early on. And with that, man, why don't you uh, you talk a little bit about um, what's going on up at 42 degrees, and then let's get into the new packaging changes, how it affected you, and how you adjusted. Yeah, absolutely. And again, you know, thanks for having me back on. It's it's good to be back. It's it's pretty phenomenal to see how far the show has come since the first initial days. You know, I hear the measures of comfortability in everyone's voice where now it's becoming more ad lib. The conversation's really starting to flow. The various times that I've, you know, been able to listen to, to Rick and Kevin and Tom and you go back and forth, just everything just becomes better and better each episode. So I tip my cap um, to everyone who's put the show together. Um, and so with that being said, it's, it's, it's pretty refreshing to come back and be on the, you know, we'll say a different side of the microphone. But uh, yeah, it's, I, I want to go back to the initial introduction that you provided because that is such a monumental occasion upon how we met. There was so much opposition in that room that one night in Solon Township in Leelanau County that, it, you know, as we go forward with the motions, this this constant theme of living the dream one nightmare at a time just still prevails. And I thought about that as a, as a theme to talk about, you know, just, just recent changes in the MRA regulation, how much cannabis companies have to go through with this, you know, while navigating the seas of change. And so, you know, it's, it, it's a, just such a comfortable way to be introduced to saying, oh, that's right. You know, it doesn't matter how much time goes on. You know, we're always going to be forced with overcoming you know you know some adversary or some obstacle and so today in, in today's discussion with packaging it seems to be you know what everyone's talking about whether it be changes from MRA regulation or the global supply chains that we're trying to fight to get our packaging and our raw materials here so that we can conduct business has been a challenge that you know, I, I'm almost certain everyone in this space is being challenged with, and not just our space, but also to the industry as a whole. So, you know, to recap on what you had said, Ryan, yes, you know, my background, it's traditionally in finance, but I came, you know, I, I came up in a graphic design environment. Both my parents were, were in graphic design. My brother's a designer. He's a web publisher in New York City. So here I am, you know, it, you know, a left brain living in a right brain's world. So it was something that I was constantly subjected to. <laughs> And I realized, you know, as we go forward with, you know, with licensure and as we, you know, we're supposed to be creating these brands and differentiated strategies. One of the things where I was able to let my creativity shine through was in the elements of industrial design. And, you know, as we ended up linking up, getting together and discussing this redemption project, 
I don't know why, but I was on the phone with um, some of my packaging manufacturers overseas and we started talking about this, you know, this benign virus that was called COVID-19. And this was right when we were designing your logo. And so I said, well, interesting inspiration. Let's go with the plague doctor. And I had no idea at that particular point in time you know, never, you, you always hear about viruses hitting, you know, developing nations. And you always say, wow, that's tragic. I'm so I've, I feel so fortunate that we live on a different part, you know, different part of the world where it doesn't, you know, things like this don't happen. Well, I mean, everything's becoming increasingly globalized. We're seeing that with the environment, the economy, politics. And now even too, you know, we're seeing that with, you know, virology and, and, and medicine. So I was shocked to find out that, you know, the United States and the world as a whole would be subjected to the COVID-19 virus. And, 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 and by default, you know, you know, redemption was, you know, it was kind of ideology, you know, there was like some, it was almost an ideology that was focused into the redemption brand. So I'm not sure if I ever had an opportunity to share that with you, but I figured today was as good a time as ever. That's beautiful. I know. And I like to tell people it's like, you know, Nostradamus, one of the most famous plague doctors. And it's, you know, these guys run and late run into situations of great peril and try to find comfort and they do it in means that are shunned by society. And uh, so it's, it's kind of what we've been doing for decades too. So thanks for that. Sorry to interrupt though. No, absolutely. You know, and that also strikes at the heart of, you know, when we when we reconvened when we were in Acme Township, you know, the the banter that I always had to utilize was utilizing facts to combat fear. It's, you know, my, my camera's not on, unfortunately, due to technical difficulties. But, you know, at the time, it's, you know, I'm not the biggest guy. I'm not the, you know, most, you know, well-renowned, you know, foremost authority on cannabis by all. But, you know, one of the things that we did really want to speak to was, was the the factual basis is they were that embedded in, in the cannabis industry and we use that to quell any reluctance that you know, maybe innocent bystanders but may, mainly the reluctant and vocal minorities that often face municipalities in the township hall meetings that they constantly occupy is that they're scared of what they don't know and it's the same thing with us operators in the space today is we navigate these seas of change and so you know we most recently we had an you know, a recent MRA bulletin that it came out that has disrupted the infusions market. And we're talking about today, brands are forced with, you know, creating some measure of change on their entire packaging concept, or even down to having to reformulate and redesign what their their actual infusions look like. And so there's been a lot of speculation as to what the severity is. And I ended up bringing in um, MICIA director Robin Snyder to help qualify some of these answers. And, you know, there is a lot of this hidden language that was embedded into the initial build that was largely ambiguous. And the interpretations now we're seeing the MRA is is focusing on these interpretations and how they can further refine what is acceptable and what isn't. Formally, when we would talk to compliance managers such as like Shy Crow and, you know, from Metric and, and, and anyone else, they, they would defer to safe business practices as a general rule of thumb. Now we're starting to see with COVID restrictions coming out there, compliance is coming out in full force. They're doing a lot more random visits. They're checking your labels. They're making sure that you got, you know, that, that, that there's no bad actors in the space. And one of the first things that we've noticed is, is we got to make sure that the children are protected. So I think largely when we look at operators in the space, we're starting to see that, 
you know, everyone is is in a consensus right now that we believe that, you know, everyone should be ensuring that, 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 that this medicine is staying out of the hands of children. At the same time, we want to operate successful companies. We want to be able to have the flexibility to succeed. Now it's about kind of finding a middle ground. And so um, I'm not sure how many how many of the listeners are, are familiar with this bill, but by and large, there's there's a handful of elements right now that are coming out that companies are having to change. Number one, the first thing is, is um, we need to as operators, we need to mitigate any type of depictions that would entice children. We also need to make sure that there is a clear distinction between um, non-medicated and medicated infusions. So anything that comes with a slogan that or a description that says candy or gummies or um, any type of confection must have a prominent either THC or marijuana infused in front of it so that there is a clear distinction. Um, those are some of the those are the some some of the larger points in the most recent advisory bulletin. But it even goes down and drills down into how some of the product is manufactured. I think a lot of the operators in the space were were cognizant of not making infusions into shapes that would be confused or the likelihood of confusion would ensue for children saying this is a you know this is for me you know the state has been extremely uh, vocal about operators not making infusions in shapes such as stars or you know uh, animal-like figures <laughs> any any type of planets or any type of i guess approachable shapes outside of you know you'd see in standard geometry yeah. and 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 that's that's a that's a pretty clear no-brainer that most people had had said shot away from now we're seeing a deeper dive into the formulation and, and, and the, the actual forming of these candies that are now we have to start to shy away from candies that would be mimicking, let's say, Reese's peanut butter cups or Twix bars, you know, making sure that any logos that are, you know, that advertise towards children are also removed. So we're now starting to see what some may call an overreach by the state getting into an, and, and directly affecting the hearts and the branding identity of some of these companies and how they are creating differentiated products on the shelf. So that's created a kind of a hot topic of conversations that we've had here at 42 Degrees. That's that's pretty, uh, pretty yeah, man. We had uh, we actually had Brisbo on the show uh, right afterwards and he's doing his podcast tours. We always jump, you know, grab him and he's always great to have. And um, you know, and, and I, I agree with a lot of the state's points and, and even some of the good points, you know, you're making it, it's on us. Um, and then the counterpoint to that is, which we didn't get into is, you know, like, uh, Jamie, Jamie Lowell. So, uh, so, is so vocal about is, Hey, it's still just, it's, it's the parents, it's the parents, uh, responsibility. And, uh, Hey, even if they do get it, it's, it's just marijuana. It's not gonna be that bad. So anyways, I just like to. I like to follow that up, uh, and uh, I like to, to tease Jamie about that a little bit too. So, Kevin, you had something? <laughs> yeah, no, it follows right in line with what you're talking about. You know, it's uh, it's frustrating. You know, I I get what they're trying to do, and, and everybody's trying to protect the kids, and I'm down with that. But 
why is it that we have to be the ones that shoulder the load of a movement? You know, um, I don't see them, you know, making uh, warning signs on bullets. Uh, I don't see them making you write things like this is a lethal gun on a gun. You know, um, it's a gun. We know that. Um, but at the same note, we do have toys all over every every store, you know, toy guns for kids to play with. Right. You know, so why is it that marijuana has to be the, the, the public enemy number one when it comes to this kind of stuff and have to, to shoulder the load? Um, I understand we're a new business. I understand people think that there's all kinds of money being made and so that there is some responsibility for us to take the, the bull by the horns. But, um, you know, when's enough is enough. Um, th that's that's kind of where I'm at with this whole thing. Um, but I do I do understand the logic in, in, in the sense of trying to keep things away from kids. But to your point, Ryan, it's it, to me, it's just like alcohol. It's your responsibility as the adult to make sure that you're one supervising your children and two keeping things that are dangerous away from them. So uh, I just wanted to make that follow up to you, Ryan. Oh, appreciate it. Appreciate it. Yeah, we we noticed that when the bulletin came out, the forums for industry specifics, you know, it it, it exploded with like imagery that is presented in uh, formerly tobacco but more more apparent in today's in today's society is is alcohol you know you see a lot of this imagery that's just absolutely you know, you know cannabis is often villainized and then there's also you know other vices that are out there in the market that are that are have been made popular by by pop culture so the question becomes, you know, and, and Kevin, I agree 110 this, percent. This, this comes down to, to the parents being responsible. It's about creating safe access points in the home. And we do understand, especially too with infusions, which was kind of a low hanging fruit on the compliance um, on, the, on the MRA's uh, radar, because it is such a similar substance to what children would, would consume. So I think that that's why we were able to fall in line with consensus, especially with my conversations with Robin. I don't think that many people in the association necessarily wanted to revolt against this. Now it's just about how do we make it work. And to touch on what Kevin had said earlier, I think it's largely about education. I, I think a lot of the people who are shopping at marijuana dispensaries today they don't have the slightest clue on what best uses, you know, what is, you know, what are best practices, something that we hear all the time from the MRA. And I think it's up to us to, to edify consumers as to what best practices are. And so if we give people in this industry an opportunity to succeed, I think they will. We've had a chip on our shoulder since day one. I think the people who are on this show and the operators in this space, we've been dealing with, you know, we've been combating facts versus fears for, for too many years. Now it's just about extending that level of education back onto the consumer so that we can have a good track record. And I think that will make this industry a success. I, I agree with that, Sam. This is a great format for us to, to, to vent and kind of you know, hey, it's going on 11 straight, 12 straight years of this for, for me and then probably more for that for Kevin. And uh, I know you've been around too. So I agree. We just got to keep the pedal to the metal and keep on educating. Uh, but sometimes, you know, it's just, it's, uh, you know, it's 2021. The information's ready, available to to, to anybody that's, that's out there. At some point, it's just cognitive dissonance or people just don't want to admit that they were ever, ever wrong. But... Uh, hey, I wanted to I wanted to ask you because um, um, I've I've since switched uh, to uh, I've I've learned about packaging at times. Packaging has been basically the bane of my existence and um, the hardest part about this uh, 
this uh, this business for me. Um, I feel like I got it under control now um, very well. Uh, it hasn't been easy. Um, but I switched to all pretty much United States companies just based on COVID and, um, you know, worrying about the, you know, when we launched, uh, you know, like you said, COVID hit and our stuff was coming out of a factory in Wuhan. So that was a, that was kind of a, a triple threat there. So what have, what have you guys done since then? What are you seeing? How are you sourcing and how have you adjusted? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, we've recently rolled out a new line of packaging. And so we can, you know, I'll narrate that journey. And you're right, the reason why we switched in the first place was due to fragmented supply chain. Not being able to get cost-effective shipping here domestically, it drives up the price, you know? A lot of people get sticker shock on domestic manufacturing here in the United States. Well, you know, there's, there's embedded costs with, with doing business overseas and there's opportunity costs, there's shipping costs. And so that's something that has to be weighed with everyone who is faced with, you know, trying to secure their supply chains. You know, there was a long-winded battle with us rolling out this packaging. And for those that may or may not know, we recently revamped our select line of products. This is something that uh, RL Solutions has um, as a co-branded sponsor for our product line, really what we're doing is, is we're using a recycled, um, we're using a recycled hemp paper. And the reason for that is, is we wanted to create an initiative that reduced um, our contributions to landfills. And so in going to that, you know, we started looking at what is our best options to source some of this material. You know, we ended up actually taking things offshore yet again. And that's not to say that I don't have confidence with domestic manufacturing. It was just the companies that we were working with ended up sourcing material and labor outside of the country. So it was there, there was still an element of global supply chain that was tied in. What we've noticed and what we've done to date with trying to manufacture and transport the, the packaging to our facility where it's in, in warehousing and, and we have better buffer inventory than we once did, knowing that there's gonna be these shortages is we went with a, a preferred freight forwarder. So now some cannabis companies that we work with, some clients of ours as well, we've been going in on bulk containers, other cannabis companies, vape cart manufacturers from um, some of our other affiliates that are in different states. Companies have had to band together to to purchase their own shipping containers, to purchase their own you know cargo planes, so they can get things over here. And there's enough interest now where you're starting to see little cooperatives that are starting to pop up. So versus trust the the DHL, the UPSs of, of the world. Now we're actually starting to go with private freight. And again, as if COVID wasn't enough for us to be challenged with, there was also the Pact Act. Um, for those who don't know about the PACT Act, this has to do with um, transporting cartomizers, which would be vape cartridges that are empty, um, through the United States Postal Service and USPS and FedEx have now all banned those shipments. So it's been quite challenging for a lot of vape cart manufacturers to get consistent supplies of raw materials outside of packaging. So when you piggyback all of these inadvertent challenges onto a unified industry, you know, there's been a lot of consolidation for shipping resources. And so that was one of the ways that we navigated. But in the instance of going back to the MRA bulletin about changing your packaging on the fly, I mean, that's a business killer in some in some economic circumstances. 
So if, for those who have to retool their packaging and, and in some companies' cases, their entire product line, that's going to have lasting effects on some of these operators in the space. Yeah, I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, Andrew Brisbane had mentioned that they are given six months uh, for people to make the adjustments to their packaging and, and things like that. But uh, like, you know, Sam, I mean, with the way things have been backed up over time, I mean, who knows sometimes how long it takes to get uh, certain products in and, and people have invested a lot of money uh, in that packaging, you know, thinking that they had stability moving forward. And it, it definitely can cause a, quite an issue. Um, I did also want to talk to you a little bit about uh, Croptober. It's on its way. Um, just maybe get some predictions from you on what you think is going to happen with the biomass market and, and, uh, and what kind of, you know, products, what type of concentrates, um, the market's kind of trend into. That's a really good question. Um, I'm not sure if you guys are seeing this or not, <clears throat> but it seems like for us, we're looking, we're looking back at historics and, and this time last year, there was an insatiable demand that could not be, you know, it could not be satisfied. It was, it was incredible, and I think that I think that avaricious nature of dispensaries buying as much as they could in a resource scarce environment last year led to a substantial amount of overbuying when Croptober eventually fell. I think people remember the wounds of 2020, and they're taking those habits into 2021. We're noticing that, albeit still consistent from a sales standpoint and a distribution standpoint there wasn't this hockey stick growth curve like we saw this time last year in August. And so buyers are getting smarter. We're seeing a lot more divergence into the distillate market because there was, I, I think it was vastly underserved last year. We still saw a, a, a spike in pricing. I think this year, Kevin, to answer your question point blank, I think we're gonna see um, a little bit more of a saturated market. We've got more producers coming online in the outdoor space. We've got a wonderful growing climate right now. I think from all accounts right now, if we can keep the storms at bay, we're gonna see a, a, a very healthy yield on a lot of these outdoor farms. But I also think that we're gonna see more experienced demand coming from the retailers. And what I mean by that is, is you're, I don't think that we're gonna see nearly as much you know, increase in sales and then fall with a fall off. I think you're going to still see consistent sales. I just think from the supply side, it's going to be a little bit more crowded out. Um, concerning concerning product types, I, I think we're still in a distillate rich environment. I think consumers are, are, are still more focused on the commodity of distillate versus, you know, finished live resin products. We are noticing that a handful of companies out there are, are, are switching more to live resin. But again, storage for these uh, for fresh frozen biomass has been difficult. Mm -hmm. I know for us, we had to increase. We now have got five reefers on site nice. and we nice. had to get ours specifically in from Georgia. The tri-state area has all been wiped out, which is normally where we get our, our, our rental units from. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, there's there's increased demand that's out there. So I think production is going to to really kind of dictate where we're at here. And I think the retail is more experienced. I, yes, I like to, I want to oh, go ahead, Kevin. I just wanted to say, real, uh, ask real quick, if you thought that the reason that distillate was was moving more than the live resin, was it a price point thing or was it more of uh, just trying to educate the consumer? Consumer. I think you're starting to see right now that the distillate is a little bit more applicable in a wider range of applications. It can be, you know, uh, nano emulsified into beverages, which I know is a big push for a lot of co-packers, co-manufacturers in the space. Um, you're seeing it with topicals, transdermals, edibles, things of that nature, and it's got a longer shelf life. So even if people hold, they buy it, they can still hold it. 
I I do also agree with the notion that consumers need to be educated on the differences between live resin and distillate, but at the end of the day, it's the three P's, right? It's, it's, it's price, it's potency, and then it's profile. You know, we in the live resin space, we've got a lower potency, a higher price point, and a more profound profile. So again, it comes down to educating customers yeah. with the difference. Yeah. So who wants to? Once you know about distillate and fake terps put in, why would you ever want to smoke that? But anyways, uh, I got some predictions. I want to get on record because I I did want to say I was gone last week. I had put it on record a few times on the show that I uh, said uh, July was going to be the biggest month ever and around. 165 to uh, 175 and we hit 171 in sales in july so i also want to put it on record august is right there with it but um um i think uh, i think distillate prices in december january are going to be down to eight maybe seven uh dollars a kilo i think the fresh frozen market will be down you know more along the lines of the 160 uh 160 dollars you meant seven a gram right not a kilo yeah, well, seven seven thousand dollars. I'm sorry. Okay. There you <laughs> yeah, go. yeah, sorry. I got I got talking there, but I just feel like a lot of what what Sam uh, touched on is correct. Last year there was there was other factors. October first was the end of uh, when caregivers could put into the processing market, and there was a huge buy up of spending of money, and and then there was also shortage of flour at times where people would go out and buy whole crops. And that's changed. You know, now if they're buying whole crops, it's it's a worked out deal, and it's it is more mature. And uh, there's some other uh, factors, but we saw, um, we really saw, you know, the the retail stores, the price uh, as far as from Croptober, their sales slipped from everyone smoking the outdoor, and that's that created that storm. So I don't think it's going to be as as noticeable this year, but uh, maybe we can push through with a lot of great fall and winter tourism. Um, but we shall see. But prices are falling, and uh, um, it's great. Uh, we're we're kind of taking that that approach over here because you know, you know with redemption because we've always wanted to try to have a really good product that people can can afford and, and compete with uh, compete with uh, the black market and the gray market. I mean that's that's the name of the game. So excited about that. Wanted to ask you another question. Uh, uh, Sam, uh, before we get going, and most people don't know, I didn't know like how big a deal packaging was. Now I know there's uh, why there's a major at Michigan State, you know, and why it's so uh, it's a big deal. Like what the scale and the scope of what you guys have grown into. Like how many employees do you have packaging? Like what, how big a space and what does that look like uh, before we go? Oh, it's it's an incredible component to our business. And to, to answer your um, question point blank, right now we've got 103 employees in our, in our facility. Our packaging team is uh, a little over 30 plus minus depending on um, our hiring cycle and where we have them allocated just for our dabbable products. We also have another 18 to 20 depending on where they're at in the value stream just for our edibles manufacturing department. The switch that we've been going through right now is, is we've been implementing a lot of automation and that's in an effort to continue to promote within our company, more experienced users, operators, and employees, but also to, to keep pace with demand. What we've noticed is, is the extraction component is what we feel the most comfortable with. 
the packaging and the distribution side of things is where things get wonky. Number one, um, oftentimes a client will provide their own packaging. And this is an effort to, to have both sides kind of save a little bit of coin in that process. But, you know, as we've learned, we're subjected to third party timelines. The other component of it is, is how do you create bespoke products for a number of competitors that all want to be differentiated from one another, but we have to scale each of those businesses simultaneously. And just like with Redemption and, 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 and the other clients that we've worked with in the past is we have to scale ahead of what the expected production is because we have to be ready for and comfortable with that surge in demand when it gets to our gets through our door. So we have to kind of retool our operations well in advance of when we see the expectation of demand hit, which is tr proven to be a little bit of a, a challenge. So we've brought on a process engineer. We brought on um, a director of supply chain who's actually uh, was working in uh, Minnesota in a cannabis company. He left from Minnesota just to touch base on what your intro said. You know, he, he left because, you know, Michigan was a lot more of a promising market where he could actually operate within, you know, reasonable laws of capitalism and a free market. So I thought that was worth a mention there. But a lot of what he did was was focus on the packaging and distribution side of the supply chain. And what we found is, is creating like choke points in our value streams. So common entry and exit points for when we can have customized packaging go through a particular process. If we can homogenize solutions for them, let's say, you know, low tech label applicators, or if we're able to push them into a certain style of cartridge that we're able to automate. It's all those little non-obvious improvements that we can make that make the process a lot smoother. So for any co-packager or co-manufacturer, you know, look to the uh, the unesthetic components of your value stream. That's usually where a lot of the value is can be unlocked. And so we've been learning every step of the way and how to continue to perfect our business perfect our supply chain, manage our inventory. Those have all been learning lessons that, that, that we take with us and, you know, from today and onward into the future. That's, uh, man. Yeah, no, I, uh, you, you, uh, that, that was fun listening to, uh, to kind of how you progressed and thinking back. It was almost like, uh, it was great to have you on the show today, Sam, just, uh, just to catch up and, uh, and hear all this. So, um, we are running short on time. I wanted to let Kevin uh, have any final thoughts here and say goodbye. Yeah, Sam, appreciate having you on the show again, man. It's been too long. Uh, it's been, I don't even know, more than half a year since we've chatted. So uh, great catching up. Your insight is is uh, spot on. And um, yeah, appreciate you coming on and, and hope everything's well. Hope everybody at, uh, at Fresh Coast is doing good and uh, pass on our well wishes. Yeah, we'll do. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, we got to get out on the golf course sometime. I know? agree. Yeah, that's it's been too long. So, you know, next time when you're up, we'll have to go play around. Ryan, it's a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on the show. And uh, yeah, um, happy, happy to be back and, and, and sitting in a different chair here. But uh, yeah, looking forward to the future. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Thanks, uh, Sam, for, for coming on. And, and Kevin. And just uh, it's great uh, hearing that final word about uh, you know Fresh Coast taking talent from Minnesota. We're seeing a lot of that. Um, it's great to see a Michigan company uh, that's owned by Michigan guys and girls uh, like Fresh Coast uh, continue to to thrive. And uh, and man, I love this market. I'm still a little uh, you know in La La Land from the UP. Uh, it was so surreal. Um, but we're blessed to be in Michigan and. Uh, 
blessed to be uh, in this market and being being from Michigan. So with that, we'll see everybody next week. Thanks, Ryan. The Smoke and Rope Podcast is produced and hosted by me, Ryan Basor, the owner of Redemption Cannabis. Have ideas for episode topics or would like to be a guest on the show? Contact us at RyanB at RedemptionCanna.com. Thanks for being along for the journey.